0: We have two scripture passages this evening, an Old Testament scripture passage and a corresponding New Testament scripture passage. The Old Testament scripture passage is Daniel chapter 2, verse 36 through 45, can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,373. Before we open up God's word, we pray with me, Heavenly Father, pray that you would bless the sermon this evening, despise my own weakness that you would through this word tonight proclaim from your word bring your grace and comfort confidence trust and faith to myself and to your people that what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection is at work within our lives will not be thwarted and one day will come in its fullness. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Daniel chapter two, verses 36 to 45. Before we read, this is Daniel who has been called to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar who's had a dream whom uh, Daniel has come to interpret. The dream is a dream of a statue, a large statue, made of various kinds of material and metals. And uh, nobody in the kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom that Daniel has been placed in in the exile of the people of Israel has been able to interpret this. And so Daniel has been given the gift of interpretation of dreams by God and comes to explain this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. So hear now the reading of God's holy word. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O oh king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain. But not by human hands. A rock that will break, that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. We turn now to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. Pew Bible, page 1,878. P. Bible, page 1,878. The author of the book of Hebrews says in his word of exhortation to uh, those who receive this letter... You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For God, our God, is a consuming fire. That's the Reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 48 in the back of the Heidelberg Catechism, in the back of your Prince-Holfe-Hendel's in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 48 can be found in the back on page 61. We can read the answer together with one voice. This is in the exposition of the Lord's Prayer. Question 123 asks, what does the second request mean? Thy kingdom come means, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. And that's the teaching of Catechism. Uh, Brian Hardin in his book, I think you'll find the title of this book interesting, Sneezing Jesus. I don't know if uh, he wrote the book More recently, maybe not the best title nowadays with all the concerns about COVID to talk about a sneezing Jesus. Um, But the title, the subtitle of the book is How God Redeems Our Humanity. He wrote in that book, continually, Jesus described the kingdom in terms that one can't point to and identify specifically. But in every story, the kingdom was the essential piece. The kingdom is mixed in and present already. It's like leaven in a loaf of bread. A person can't find the leaven after the loaf is baked, but the loaf would be completely deflated and radically different if the leaven were missing. The kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that sprouts into a giant bush. Someone couldn't find the original mustard seed after the bush had grown, but birds could not nest in the branches were it not for the seed. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe, Jesus said. No one will be able to say, look, here it is, or it's over there. The kingdom of God is already within and among you. These words, he says, are such a colossal paradigm shift, an upside-down way of looking at an inside-out world. And they are as disruptive now as when they were spoken. Jesus was telling people then and us now, that we won't be able to identify the kingdom geographically or point it out in any one singular event. Even though the fullness of the kingdom is not yet realized, the kingdom has already begun. And we are a vital part of that realization. It's everywhere and it's now. It is within us and among us and worth losing all we have to gain it. And that's... Poignant introduction to the topic of the kingdom of God. And I hope as we discuss the kingdom of God described for us in the scriptures and how we are to pray for the kingdom to come. We will think about it more deeply and more profoundly than we have in the past. So. Our theme tonight, as we consider this subject, we pray for the kingdom to come in us and through us Until the end. We pray. Since this is what this is. A prayer. A guideline of prayer. An exclamation to us. That every prayer that we have. Should have a part of it. That is characterized by this petition. Of the coming of the kingdom of God. We pray for the kingdom to come in us. And through us. Until the end. There's three points this evening praying for the rule of word and spirit is the first point praying for Church and the destruction of our enemies this is the second point, and then finally, I don't think there's two S's in consummation. No, there's not. There's two ends. Praying for the consummation of God's kingdom. Normally I try to stick to like one word on these points and it just did not work tonight. So that's okay. Thank you for bearing with me. So let's talk about the first point. We pray for the kingdom to come in us is a way that you could describe as this, the first part of the theme, what we're talking about when we pray for the rule of the word and spirit. What does the second request mean? Thy kingdom comes mean, means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that we more and more submit to you. Submit. Surrender. This is a discussion about obedience. Obedience to God in terms of the kingdom of God. And maybe uh, some of you have often thought about the kingdom of God as something outside of you. Something that that comes um, as a, uh, uh, a realization of... God's rule and reign being uh, made evident, being made clear in the world. Many of the people who came to the shores at the beginning of America, at the beginning of what has come to be the United States of America, believed that what they were doing was coming to bring a realization of the kingdom of God here on this new world. So they don't they would realize that. But that's not where the Catechism starts. The Catechism starts on the realizing of the kingdom of God in us. That when we pray in the Lord's prayer, "Thy kingdom come," we're not firstly praying for things that are outside of us, realities that are going on outside of us, ways in which we look at the world and see things that are against God who are speaking against God. We'll get to that eventually. The first thing that we are called to pray for when we pray for thy kingdom come is that the rule and reign of God would be made realized in us, in our hearts. And that is what the description of the kingdom of God is getting at in the book of Hebrews. What it says to these Hebrews who are worried about being under the Christian umbrella, who are thinking about leaving this new covenant reality to go back to the old covenant ways because they think if they can hide in the synagogue, they won't receive the persecution and the punishment that they are receiving now for claiming that Christ is the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one who is to come, the one who is to bring the kingdom of God in all its fullness. And so the author of the book of Hebrews writes to them, encouraging them to stay where they are because the realities of the kingdom of God can only be had in this new covenant reality that Christ has brought. And he says to them, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast with such a voice, speaking words to those who heard it, begged that no further word be spoken to them. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to this new kingdom reality. You've come to this place not of judgment and condemnation, but of grace and love. And what is meant to be the application of this distinction that is being made by the author of Hebrews? What is meant to be this application of saying... What you want to go back to is that dark and gloomy Mount Sinai, the one where God said even if an animal touches it, it must be stoned to death. That's what you're wanting to go back to. What you have now is Mount Zion, the beautiful and wonderful mountain of God where angels upon angels are gathered in worship, where the spirits of righteous men have been made perfect, where Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, who has a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood that sprinkled the ground, the blood of murder, the blood of sin, that spoke to God from the ground. Christ's blood speaks a better word. The application is, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. They did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? The kingdom is meant to be realized in our lives. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come. We are praying for God to rule us and to reign us over our lives. But how does God rule us? He does so by his word and spirit. We talked about this morning an opposing kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, and we said that the way to fight against and battle this opposing kingdom is by the word and spirit. It is holding to what God has proclaimed. But it's not only the way to fight against the opposing kingdom, it's also the way that we realize that kingdom in our lives. We're not only saying we don't want the kingdom of Satan. We're saying we want the kingdom of God to become more and more realized, more and more full in our lives.
1: Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way
0: that more and more we submit to you. What it means by word and spirit is that as the word is preached from the pulpit on the Lord's Day, as the word is opened up by you in your personal time of Bible reading and devotional It is when you apply yourselves to know and to understand the Word of God, and it's when the Spirit blesses that and accompanies that work, that God begins to work in us, to transform us, to conform us to the image of His Son, to renew our minds. And it is when we become more like Christ in godliness and holiness, kingdom of God is realized, not only personally in our lives, but as that personal devotion to the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come first above all things and all other things shall be given to us, when it is realized in our lives individually that we begin to create a collective of those who are putting kingdom principles over principles of this world that we join together and we begin to have kingdom realities form because of those interconnections and interpersonal relationships between individuals who are prioritizing the kingdom of God in their own lives. That we begin to see what happens in community. And that brings us to our our second point. And I'm going to shorthand this. Pray for the church. Praying for the church and the destruction of her enemies. The answer in the catechism goes on. Keep your church strong. And add to it. So... Um, Strengthen and increase your church. But also, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Um, if the book of Hebrews is, is written to uh, believers who are considering leaving this new kingdom reality, it comes as its application, uh, an encouragement, an exhortation to them to cling to the kingdom realities. What is being described in the second point, praying for the church and destruction of our enemies, can be seen throughout the scriptures. Matthew chapter 16, our Lord says that the gates of Hades shall not stand against the church. It's an offensive explanation. It's not a defensive explanation. It's not, a, it's not a, an explanation or uh, understanding of the church that, that we are closed off from the world, that we are protecting ourselves and that the gates of Hades will not be able to break through our defenses and come into the church. It is an explanation of an offensive Formation, an offensive attack that the kingdom of God, as it is formulated, as it is seen, and as it can express itself in the church, keep in mind the church is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is more than the church. But as it is expressed in the church, as it is realized and seen in kingdom realities, expressing itself in individual organic lives, will not withstand. The gates of Hades will not withstand against him. We have been promised victory. But we are still called to pray for it. To pray that the Lord would keep his church strong and add to it. And when we pray that the Lord would keep his church strong, as long as we are keeping in mind that first prayer, that we are to be ruled by God, by his word and spirit, we would understand that when we turn to pray for keeping his church strong and adding to it, that does not remove us from our responsibility. How is it that we, as believers who make up a body, who are members of a church, who have covenanted together with other brothers and sisters of Christ can keep a church strong and add to it. It's a question worth considering. It's a question that God, by his word and spirit and his ruling over us, is revealing to us Lord, how am I in my walk, in my life, in my prayer that the kingdom of God would be realized in my own heart, seeking to strengthen the church? And believe it or not, I'm not sure if any of you know this, but when you pray, Lord, add to your church, the way that works is not by God simply plucking someone off the streets and putting them in the pews. It's when the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes so wonderful and amazing and true and good to us that we then look upon other people who are without hope and separated from God in this world and we say something to them. It's when we pray that God would add to his church that God places a burden upon our hearts to do the work of evangelism. Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you and I could say that more and more we submit to you and strive to keep your church strong and add to it. Remember, there is that opposing kingdom. We've been promised victory, yet we are called to pray, thy kingdom come. How is it that we pray that the devil's works would be destroyed and that every force which revolts against God and every conspiracy against his word would be brought down. I would say to you that one way the church can do so, which has been somewhat controversial in the past, depending on how you look at it, is to pray and to sing the imprecatory psalms. The psalms given to us in God's very own word about the destruction of the people of God's enemies. And the way that we pray for destruction against the people of God's enemies is not with vengeance in our own hearts that those whom we see opposing God would suffer horrible deaths in this life. Of the devil's work in principalities and powers and rulers of the air. But the devil can be at work in politics and places of power. We pray that the way that God would destroy the devil's work and every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word is that he would convert them and bring them to Jesus Christ or else get them out of the way that the kingdom of God can go forward. I think a very poignant example of this can be said about the way that we as Christians discuss the death of a Supreme Court justice that happened recently. I saw Christians praising that this woman was no longer alive. And I think that's wicked. I don't know the state of Judge Ginsburg's soul The outrage was against many of the policies that she put in place and rulings that she had as a Supreme Court justice that can be very clearly seen to be against God's law and against God's kingdom. And this is the way I would distinguish for us how we pray for God to destroy the Devil's work and every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. We could be thankful that someone who is against God's will and word and law is no longer serving in that position, but we pray for her soul. And we pray to the Lord that he chose to redeem such a sinner as her because we, despite the grace of God, Apart from the grace of God would be no better. Nonetheless, we must guard against the temptation that what is being asked of us here is to think about things out there, outside. We should also pray that the devil's work would be destroyed in our own lives. And that every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your work would be brought down. Not only outside the church, but inside the church. You don't think Satan has his minions at work within the church? Some people like to say, oh you know what? The devil wants to do, he wants to close the doors of the church. He wants to make sure the church is not open. I don't think that's the case. I think what the devil likes more than shutting the doors of the church, which we've been promised won't happen, he'd like to have a church It's all about religiosity and nothing about the gospel and open those doors wide so everybody can come in and pat themselves on the back and feel comfortable where they're at in life without ever being asked the question where are you standing when it comes to your eternal destination so people can say oh yeah I'm a Christian that's my church I've been going to that for years but they're on highway to hell. They're in the church and they are a force which revolts against God and every conspiracy against his word preached by false teachers who are cloaked in their sheepish disguise claiming what they say is the word of God and is not. Pray for the church and the destruction of our enemies. Daniel, chapter 2. A very wonderful prophecy. A great example of the truthfulness of God's word. That before these things ever came to take place, God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a dream about the coming kingdoms of the world. And he said, after all the kingdoms that would happen after King Nebuchadnezzar, all the way up to the kingdom, the Greek kingdom of Alexander the Great, and the breaking up of that kingdom, and then the turning into the Roman kingdom, there would come a king whose kingdom would have no end. And we're told of this king. It will never be destroyed. This kingdom will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. That is the promise that we are praying for, to keep the church strong, to add to it. By kingdom come means God, destroy the devil's work out there in us and destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word but it is finally our final prayer we are called to pray for the consummation haha I did it right the second time of God's kingdom. Catechism continues. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. It's almost a direct quotation from 1 Corinthians 15 when we are told there that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father that all enemies are being placed under His feet. The last enemy shall be death. And then in that moment Christ shall hand the kingdom over to His Father and God will be all in all. It is the end. We pray for the kingdom to come in us and through us. In us when we pray that God by his word and spirit would rule in our lives. Through us as we consider how we can keep the church strong and add to it. How we can participate in the the destruction of the devil's work and fight against every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your end. And we pray for this thing continually. We pray for these realities continually. We pray for the kingdom of God to come continually until the end. You see, we can't really give the Jews at the time of the coming of Jesus Christ, a hard time for not understanding what the kingdom of God was going to be like. You read this prophecy, right? You read this prophecy. And the kingdom that Jesus Christ is bringing, that kingdom that comes at the end, the one, the stone that becomes a mountain and destroys this great statue of all these great and wonderful manly and earthly kingdoms. It's described right in line like the others. Like King Nebuchadnezzar's own earthly kingdom. Like the Persian kingdom that came after. Like the kingdom of Alexander the Great who united all of the known world. The breaking apart of that kingdom which which created chaos and then The the kingdom that broke into that brought a a sense of of united, a sense of bringing things back under rule and reign of the the Roman kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom. All these great kingdoms with all these great rulers, with all their so called majesty. And here comes, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will self endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. And so when Jesus Christ came, they believed this was the fulfillment Of what Daniel had prophesied that Jesus Christ was going to come and set up this great earthly kingdom there in the promised land. His throne in Jerusalem by the temple. And that God was going to bless the kingdom of Israel and it was going to spread even further and greater than Alexander the Great's kingdom. It was going to spread all over the world and there would be peace and rule and reign through this great kingdom with this great king of kings seated on his throne. And then Jesus died on the cross. And shattered every expectation of what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was really about. It was about dying to yourself. It was about humiliation before exaltation. It was about surrender to the will of God. Obedience. No matter the cost. it was a kingdom that does not have a landmark on the map. A kingdom that is being formed in each and every one of us individually as the Holy Spirit does His work in and through us. A kingdom where people can't say, there it is, or there it is. A kingdom Is not limited by borders. A kingdom that we are to pray will come until it's complete and perfect. A kingdom that the book of Hebrews says is unshakable and will not be moved. A kingdom that we are citizens of. Therefore, since we are receiving, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming prayer, uh, fire. Pray for the consummation of God's kingdom. Pray that no matter what you see going on around you and in this world, whatever may be happening on the nightly news that makes you think that God is not really sovereign and overall the the King Jesus is not on the throne? Pray and know that the way that this kingdom is seen is not the way that other kingdoms are seen. The way we see this kingdom is with the eyes of faith. That this kingdom is in us. That we belong to it above all others. That this kingdom is making its way in the world through us. Out into the world as we love God above all other things this world has to offer. And we love our neighbor. Pray that this kingdom is realized as we, the church, Desire, fidelity, and purity to God and His Word. And we have a fervor and 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 an, an enthusiasm for evangelism and bringing the gospel to the world, to the nations, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. Pray that this kingdom would come as we pray against the work of the devil and his deception and his lies that are at work in this world and in the places of power. Pray that every force against God's word would be brought down, would be defeated. And pray this continually. Even when you don't see it. Even when you don't understand how it's going to come to the end, how it's going to come to consummation, to fruition, pray for it, until God's kingdom is so complete and perfect, that God is in it, and He is all in all. Brian Harding said, "Even though the fullness of the kingdom is not yet realized, the kingdom has already begun. And we are a vital part of that realization. It's everywhere, and it's now. It is within us and among us, and it's worth losing all we have to gain. it. Amen, we pray. You. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sun. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come in us and through us, and we pray that we would pray this continuously until the consummation. Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead and brings the fullness of kingdom to bear. Till that day comes, Lord, we're lost by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you, keep your church strong and add to it, destroy the devil's work and every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.